I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Of all forms of media, podcasts are my favorite. I love the fact that there is a wealth of talent online, innovative people producing podcasts that are fascinating, helpful, thoughtful, even provocative. I listen to podcasts more than I watch TV, listen to radio or read. I learn so much from listening to podcasts, whether it's how to tackle a problem or a fascinating way of thinking about something. The only problem is that when I want to go back and listen again, I've often forgotten exactly where I found it. That's why I'm excited to let you know about Sparks, a new podcast app that helps you learn, retain and apply knowledge from your listening. On the Sparks app, you can follow your favourite podcasts, listen to new and past episodes, but also remember what you've heard on them. You just hit a button to capture a thought or an inspiration. Even better, the app then tags the right spot in the podcast episode so that you can easily find the context again. Sparks has just launched in open beta on iOS and are asking avid podcast listeners and early adopters to join them and help shape the future of learning through podcasts. So if this appeals to you, go to sparksapp.io forward slash the parenthood and join the beta now. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Anxiety is something all of us parents have to deal with on a daily basis. It's natural that if we fall so utterly head over heels in love with the children we produced, we're terrified of losing them. It's also important. When they're little, our children are so utterly helpless. They need us to have a heightened sense of protection for their very survival. But sometimes that anxiety is too much. It's out of control, out of context. And instead of enabling us to protect our children, threatens to take away any enjoyment of being a parent. While many of us have heard of postnatal depression, you might not have heard of postnatal anxiety. So with me today, I've got the co-founder of The Parenthood, Dr. Kiara Hunt, who in her GP practice sees many new parents suffering with postnatal disorders. I've also got Selena Hinchcliffe, a mother of two, who suffered with postnatal anxiety herself. Welcome both of you and thank you for coming on The Parenthood. Thank you you for having me. Um, Kiara, I'd love to just start with a little bit of understanding around postnatal anxiety. All of us parents are anxious. It's really, really normal. Um, When is it not normal? When does it become a problem? And how would you know that it is becoming a problem? I think you're right. I think all of us as parents suffer with anxiety. And it may be more than the anxiety we were used to suffering with before we had children. But it's when those feelings of anxiety are out of proportion to the situation you're in, where they're so overwhelming, they're starting to dictate, you know, what what you're thinking, what you're doing, what you're needing to do, how you're behaving yourself as a character and a personality, um, is when it starts to become a a 
problem, a disorder, in the same way as postnatal depression um, is a mood disorder where you're feeling, uh, you know, we've talked about many times, low, tearful, um, unmotivated. Postnatal anxiety is when those feelings of anxiety where uh, are, are so overwhelming that they are uh, they are preventing you from living your life and parenting in a way that you want to and that you need to. And Selena, so for you, when, when you experienced these sort of abnormal feelings of anxiety, how were you feeling? What were you anxious about? It was really hard to put my finger on exactly what I felt anxious about. It sort of kicked in after about four or five days Um with both my children and and after the birth of my eldest son um, I would just wake up in the night uh, in between feeds when he was sleeping with just a rush of intense panic and anxiety and acute fear. Um, And was it anything specific that you were worrying about? Was it, you know, he stopped breathing or the room's too hot or was it just more general? um, It wasn't to do with with him, I knew that he was thriving, he was feeding well. I, I wasn't worried about his health. I know that for a lot of mothers it can attach the anxiety can attach itself to the to the baby. It was a feeling that I just couldn't cope. A lot of um, patients describe it to me. They come and they say, I'm not depressed, I'm feeling anxious, and it feels like I'm constantly about to sit my A level exams. I've got that feeling in my stomach of you know that 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 mm. that butterflies, but more than that, almost like you you know you struggle to breathe, and it's like that all the time. And like with postnatal depression, you, people say to me, "I'm not, I have nothing to be sad about. I am I am happy. I've got a baby. I'm happy in my marriage. Everything is great. But I feel awful. I feel really low. And with anxiety, it's sim- similar. You say to yourself, "There is nothing I need to be anxious about. I I know my head is telling me that everything is fine. Yet I feel this constant." panic in my chest I don't know if that's how that's you exactly I would describe it as a as an unnamed dread and I've spoken mm. to a lot of women who, who describe it as that I I couldn't place it but it just was very physical it was like being in the grip of a constant panic attack or I'd even describe it as terror mm. um, being terrified that I couldn't cope that I wasn't going to be able to to be a good mother mm. and I was it was terror kind of I was scared of my own feelings. I was scared of my own level of panic. Um, and I felt my chest racing, my heart racing. And I would wake up in the morning with just this feeling of utter dread and terrible apprehension. I wish it was. I, I was about to sit my A-levels. It was, it was so far, much worse than far that. Worse yes, than no, that. Exactly. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't quantify it. And I'd never had anything like this in my normal life. So it, it seemed to come out of nowhere mm. and shock me to my very core um and and you know harry was this beautiful baby who was feeding well he was sleeping well it was like what's he's fine what's what's wrong with me i was yeah. like this is like maybe this is some mistake i can't do this a feeling that i couldn't cope and and very much attached to not being able to sleep so mm-hmm. raging insomnia for me and if mm-hmm. i can't sleep then i'm not going to be able to to cope and yeah. it was very linked to to sleep for me yeah, that's interesting and what you're describing there is because cl- there are different types of, of postnatal anxiety and what you're describing there is very much postnatal generalized anxiety disorder which is this kind of constant state of high anxiety all the time and it's it's not about one thing it can be about health about feeding it can be about um, your ability to parent but it's uh, it is this sort of generalized um, feeling of anxiety the whole time whereas some women get a sort of, uh, postnatal health anxiety 
which is very much like I think you alluded to earlier centered around worry about their child's health and you know even though their child is perfectly healthy it's sort of um, you know, they're worrying that something is wrong with their baby's health. And then some other women get um, more sort of obsessive compulsive anxiety where it's this sort of distressing feeling that something is going to, mainly it's about your, uh, something devastating is going to happen to your, your baby, even though you know it's not. And it's sort of obsessing about not being able to do things because what if this catastrophic event happens? Um, so, and, and what you describe is, is probably the commonest type, um, but it's, it's very difficult because it is constant and you can't put a pinpoint on what the trigger is and selena did you when you first started noticing these feelings of acute anxiety did you vocalize them straight away or did it take you a little bit of time to admit that you were feeling absolutely terrified about something but you didn't know what i think in the first day or so i i kept it to myself and thought well maybe i can handle this maybe this is just well obviously it was my hormones but but I can get a handle on this and then it became so acute and I am the sort of person in life that I'm I'm a seeker you know I I have a voice and if something's wrong I try and work out how I can improve it so I was vocal to my husband to my family and said look I'm not I'm, I'm, there's something wrong here. I'm, I'm not sleeping. Uh, I know, of course, you're not sleeping when you've got a newborn baby, but he was sleeping quite well in between yeah. feeds yeah. and I couldn't sleep. Um, so I did say I'm... I'm I'm not feeling right. But that was probably about day five, day six. Yeah, but and, 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 and at that time is very much, you know, when the baby blues hits, that's when your hormones are all over the place. And we, you know, we tell women that it's quite normal to feel very odd in that first week because your hormones are all over the place. You might well be crying for no reason. You might well be feeling overanxious. But it's when those symptoms persist for longer than those few days of baby blues that, that most people come. So, you know, come and see the doctor or start verbalizing their, their symptoms. So that, that's quite early that, mm. that, you, that you started addressing it. Which... Yeah, I think it was day five, day six, because I always have very good pregnancies, but, um, and the births were, you know, my birth was long with, with Harry. It was probably about 40 hours. My second birth with Rory was, was a good birth. Um, but mm. so it's just like four or five days after having them, it's as if I kind of fall off a cliff into this emotional or, or anxious turmoil but but I have very serene pregnancies yeah so it's and how something... long then before you sought sought medical advice I had the health visitor came so I, I told the health visitor how I was feeling but you know because Harry was gaining weight and you know there's a lot of obsession about breastfeeding of which I was able to do and he was getting you know the, the baby's fine there's so much focus on the baby isn't it? it was like well I know he's okay but I'm not okay mm-hmm. um but I think Sometimes they're not always so interested in that or, you know, they've got lots of pressures and stuff. But I think I started to vocalise it more and more. And I think in those situations, you need an advocate. You need your husband or your mother or a good friend to say, look, hang on a minute to the health visitor. This is, I know my wife. I know my daughter in normal life. You know, this is such, there's such an acute difference here. And I think I was very lucky to have that support and really say to the health visitor, um, this isn't right. So what then, what was the next step? Well, then there was a referral to um, to the hospital, to the perinatal yeah, yeah. psychotherapist there. So I was very lucky to get that referral. But of course, it, it takes time for that to come through. I think it was three or four weeks. Mm. So in the meantime, that was very difficult. But I had a good GP that I could talk to who sort of contained me for that time. But mm. it was very, very difficult. Mm. 
And so you saw the um, perinatal um, psychotherapist mm. um, and what happened? So it would, while the GP was sort of containing you, mm. what, what was happening? Were, were they able to give you any medication? Were they able, how, how were they supporting you? Uh, they weren't giving me medication at that stage, the GP. I was just going to my GP having appointments where I would talk about how I was feeling. And I think that just made me feel a little less alone. But it was very difficult to get appointments. I mean, I, I, I think it was probably one or two appointments with my doctor. It was mainly family support at that stage. And um, understanding then at this point that this was a thing. This wasn't just you having changed yes. your whole personality, having had a baby. This was a medical you know, condition that can be treated. Yeah, I st I st although I wasn't quite aware of that at that stage because I think... The feelings were so strong and I, I, I think there's a certain element of denial. Well, I'll, this, this will go away or I haven't got that. And, you know, the term postnatal depression, I thought, well, I'm not feeling sad. I, I'm just so mm -hmm. I, I wasn't quite recognizing um, what, what I was suffering from at that stage. But then once I was able to talk, I saw Dr. Hollins, Dr. Catherine Hollins, and I had an appointment with her with my baby. Um, then I, I felt far less alone and felt like finally I could break down in front of somebody and say exactly how I was feeling and I didn't feel alone and I wasn't judged um, and I kind of felt held in that room so I was very lucky to, to speak to her and suddenly try and connect the dots a bit but I was still very very unwell at that stage mm -hmm. um, it's not as if and it's about you know, understanding that it, it, you are unwell. It is mm. an illness. And I think a lot of people and a lot of families and a lot of partners don't necessarily understand that. Um, and help, helping them understand that is the, one of the biggest steps. And actually even patients, you know, to, to convince a patient that this, this isn't just you not coping. This is you suffering with a condition that is real. That's exactly where I was at. And, and I think the patient needs convincing because somehow you mm. think I'm doing it wrong. This is my fault. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm not meant to have children. You know, mm. what's going on? Mm. And you know, if we slipped a disc in our back and we couldn't look after our child, we needed a lot of help with it for, for two months. You know, everyone would be racing around, wouldn't they? You get help from everywhere. And it's as mm. if you've, you know, slipped a disc in your mind. Mm. Something's playing tricks on you. Something's fooling you. And it's, and, and you know, the mother needs support. I needed support. But it's much harder when it's a mental health issue it really is yeah and we're getting better i think as a society at recognizing that but it's it's nowhere near as as um uh, you know, it's not not quite yet the place we want it to be i don't think it still takes a lot of time for people to actually seek help because there's still a bit of shame i suppose associated with it from a patient's perspective and a lot of medical professionals aren't necessarily up to speed on what can be done and you know how common it is because it is very very common um we, we classify it in postnatal mood disorder because often you say as you say people think of postnatal depression but they don't think of anxiety and i'd say i see half half in my practice in terms of postnatal mood disorders it's half anxiety and half depression and a lot of overlap as well with a bit of both um but it's 15 percent i think probably even a little bit higher than that of women who've had a baby who who suffer with with perinatal mental health problems um so it's something we should be you know right up there on our radar yes and you're right you know think of the amount of women that suffer in silence that don't yeah. say how they're yeah. feeling and yeah. i think also because in my normal life i've been very outgoing very gregarious always up for a laugh you know great sense of humor always i'm not saying i'm the life and soul of the party but i'm that, <laughs> that sort of person yeah, i've got yeah. great friendships i loved my work mm. i was always 
traveling with work, having fun. Mm. You know, it was such, I felt like I'd had a personality bypass. I didn't recognize myself. It was almost like an out-of-body experience looking at myself like I was just a husk of the person. I couldn't find any joy in anything. And that's terrifying when you feel like you're completely losing yourself you like lose just, your sense of identity yeah there. it's been sucked out of you and and just just replaced with utter terror and misery i mean it was just awful so and presumably some of the therapy you were getting was uh from dr hollands was mm. was helping you understand that that you are still there yes and that is it's just about finding a way back from it absolutely and connecting with me with my son and i was lucky enough that i i did have a real bond with with Harry even you know obviously it's it's very tough when you're feeling that anxious but mm. I think for a lot of mothers you know it's very hard connecting and having that bond mm. when you're feeling that terrified mm. but she helped me um to really focus on noticing things about Harry noticing how Harry needed me finding tiny pinpricks of joy mm. and light and once I felt those it was so strong that suddenly you could build on those tiny pinpricks and think, well, actually, I can, there is hope here. I can, I can change. I don't have to stay in this absolutely terrified state. Mm. And you have these glimmers in the sessions with Dr. Hollins and my second, after my second birth with Dr. Danny O'Shea, where I would have these moments of, of relief, of respite and mm. of absolute um hope and and then I thought well I can build on those and I used to keep a diary I used to score my days mm. you know initially when I look back at that diary it was like one out of ten zero out of ten I, mm. I I can't do this and then suddenly there might be some fours out of ten in there and some six out of tens and then of course it's not linear I remember my husband drawing a graph mm. your recovery is not going to be linear Selena because <laughs> I just was desperate to know when am I going to get better when mm. am I going to be back to my old self and he was mm. like it's the old Paula Abdul lyric, you know, it's two steps yeah. forward, one step back, yeah. or however it goes. But, you know, it's it's going to be up and down. I think mm. that was really hard for me to get my head around. I thought, I was desperate to, when am I going to recover? Yeah, and it's um, never a quick fix with any kind of It's never a quick fix. And that's the worst. I think I was probably quite impatient. And mm. I did go on medication as well. Mm-hmm. I, I took, I was, I'm the sort of person that was like, well, let's just throw the kitchen sink at it. I'd never mm. had to take medication before, but I, I didn't have yeah. any shame around that. I was like, yeah. just ship it in. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'll take what needs to be taken. But of course, that takes time to kick in as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, Did you find that helpful? I, I, it's really hard to quantify that. For me, the psychotherapy was, was the most mm. powerful mm. part of my recovery. I think making those links and reconnecting, rebuilding myself with the help of, of somebody else yeah. was the most powerful. And I used to take... Um, Harry and and then Rory along to those sessions I think that really helped but of course I'm sure the medication helped as well it's quite interesting because I so often have these conversations with with patients about treatment options and it's it's very very rarely one or the other and certainly not medication without therapy Mm. you know medication might be able to get you to a place where you can engage in the therapy more and gain more from the therapy but on its own it's unlikely to be that effective without you sort of trying to fix the the underlying causes and triggers of the what's causing the anxiety Um, but i do find a lot of patients get better quicker with medication and psychotherapy when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Did you with your second have medication again? I did, yes. Um, But it was a similar process, really. I think... Um, the For what, psych- how long? What sort of period of time? Well, I, I, I was so terrified of coming off it, thinking, mm. oh my goodness, you know, mm. what if I go back? That I, I was probably on it for about nine months, ten months. Mm-hmm. And then when I came off it, I came off it so slowly um that was the key thing for me so well, people often say i don't want to go on medicine because what if i know don't you get addicted to to medication no. for these sort of things and, and of course i thought no absolutely not what you, what can happen is you can get a rebound if you suddenly stop them on your own off your own back from one day to the next you can feel worse from a from an anxiety or depression point of view but you know most of my patients are on them for six to 12 months mm. and then might well never need to be on any sort of medication like that in their life again. Exactly. I haven't needed to be on it since, but yeah. it was really useful tool. And I also needed help sleeping medication mm-hmm. to, um, to to help me sleep as well a mm-hmm. bit because mm-hmm. that was such, it was so linked with just this insomnia and it's very hard mm-hmm. to get well when you're not mm-hmm. sleeping. Well, so. anxiety very often is linked with insomnia because your your mind is racing at night um, and, and those thoughts are stopping you sleeping. <laughs> So yeah. it's really common, whereas actually with postnatal depression, sometimes you sleep very well, um, but you, uh, I mean, you just feel dreadful when you're awake. And I remember having a bowl of porridge on my bedside table because the morning dread, it was always so much worse in the morning. And you hear this a lot from women, you know, in the evenings, if they have partners and they come home, it just lifts that that burden and that feeling yes. of, oh my gosh, I'm entirely responsible for my baby. But first thing in the morning and my husband would be going off to work, I just felt such terror and dread that having a bowl of porridge just somehow kind of leveled Mm. me out a bit just it's so important to eat and all those elements of self-care were you know really critical that's that's the same advice for any kind of mood disorder is is you know eat little and often eat early in the morning um and get try and get out of the house however small that is even if it is literally going to post a letter or it's going to you know, have a coffee up the road with a friend or on your own. Now, that is a step in the right direction. Oh, I and couldn't just- agree more. When I talked about my diary, you know, I think so many women these days, particularly the age we're living in, they think I've got to do so much mm. with my baby. I've got to go here. I've got to go swimming. And of course, all those things are wonderful in good time. But, you know, those mm. first three, four months, mm-hmm. it's just being what I learned was just to be with my baby and be in the mundanity. And, you know, that Buddhist saying, you know, find the extraordinary, find the extraordinary in the ordinary. And I think in a way, um, not going out and doing all that stuff because I was so ill. I had to pull back and keep my life really simple and washing my hair in the morning or walking to the end of my street and having a coffee was a huge victory. And then coming back with him in the buggy, you know, maybe meeting a friend that I felt safe with for a 20 minute coffee and then leaving. That Those were huge victories. And I used to write about them as, as massive achievements. Mm-hmm. And that, it was pretty humbling for me, you know, in my in my former life, if you... Um, you know, I was doing lots of things in, in the work area and, and I just, 
I had to really scale things back and, you know, having a shower and getting for a coffee was was a massive achievement in a day mm. and spending time with my baby rather than rushing off here, there and everywhere mm. and seeing loads of people. And I think there's too much pressure on, on mothers to do that. And I think I think a lot of women exactly in that situation have had a very productive, busy, fulfilling career or life before babies and, and suddenly in a situation where going for coffee is a massive achievement, feel like, is, is it ever going to get back mm. to that? And of course it does. It just it just takes a bit of time because your baby grows up, you go back into the workplace, you find the balance that works for you as a mother, as a family, and presumably now as so your boys are a bit bigger, but mm. you know you are, oh, yeah. you are as productive if not more, and as fulfilled if not more than you were before. Absolutely, but I think that first six months or year is. You know, it can be quite boring. Let's be honest. There's well, a lot it can of be time boring without just, anxiety or depression. Of course, <laughs> and and you know, there's a lot of of just parts of being a mother that are just not that great, that are not fun. And and I don't think we talk enough about the honesty. Mm. And whenever I meet mums with new babies, I you know how hard it is. And of course, people say that, but to talk honestly about mm. how dull it can be mm. and how unhappy we feel and to you give know them permission to admit that yeah and to give, uh, so that's what I spend a lot of my time with I look after lots of new mothers and their babies and to say this is normal it is okay not to love every single second that you spend your baby it's okay for it to be boring mm. it's okay for you to hate it some days and wish you weren't a mother that's normal yeah I remember going to a baby shower of a friend of mine recently and we were all playing these games and we all had to write her a little note of sort of you know what what you'd like to achieve you know, important things to remember in the first year and everyone was like cherish every day take a photo of every day and I wrote down you don't have to enjoy every day (laughs) I just remember feeling like I really was the odd one out this was my my big message it's okay not to love it because I think on social media all we ever do is write about how wonderful being a mother is and yet 90% of the day can be really boring and then if you are feeling that you feel guilty you feel like the only one who's not loving every minute and documenting every minute and dressing your child up but you know you're seeing the snapshot you're not even seeing the microsecond either side of it yeah you're comparing your insides with somebody else's outsides Mm. um and i think just seeing more mothers that talk more honestly about that is hugely hugely helpful and and just the burden of motherhood you know the the laundry the Mm. you know feeding yourself feeding your baby you know how how exhausting breastfeeding can be you know it's not for everybody feeling tethered to your child sometimes you know there's many women I speak to that it, breastfeeding doesn't work out for them but sometimes there's so much pressure pressure from your partner um, you know I was very lucky in that respect and I made a decision to, to stop breastfeeding which was very painful but I feel it was the right decision for me and you know so many people I, I, I've said you know when when Harry and Rory get married let's say we're, we're in the church or in the registry office you know is someone gonna say oh can we just stop uh the service actually can we just was Harry breastfed you know it's just not gonna happen and yet at that stage there's and of course breast is best we all know that but if the mental health the maternal mental health is at stake you know and That's maybe it's better to be bottle fed then let's I said you know, to my, it's I said not I was disadvantage my boys at all. They patient, got a bit yeah. at the beginning and that's yeah. fine. Well, I talked to a patient last week exactly and saying, you know, she's, she's got three months and she's like, I'm really not enjoying it. And I said, listen, you know, potentially for your baby, it is much better to have a relaxed, happy mummy who is enjoying being a, being a mother than someone who is miserable trying to, to pump or feed or oh. not get quite be able to do it and it's painful and they're hating it and they're sort of slightly resenting their baby as a result of it. That, you've got to look at the bigger picture. 
So. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe a partner can do some feeds at night mm. while you need to rest, you know, whatever works. But in terms of your, I mean, uh, your your support network that you got, you, mm. you mentioned a few times that your partner was really supportive. Mm. What what advice could you give to partners of of women who are going through postnatal mood disorder? Oh. To, what what what? I how really could feel they, for them. <laughs> how could they support? Well, I think their they partner? need to be supported. I think um, I think it's not easy just having a wife that is really really anxious or really depressed i mean i i actually spare a thought for for fathers here i think it's really hard for them mm. you know they've had a full-on day um you know they're helping with the baby and then their wife just has disappeared and and i think that's really hard for partners and of mm. course they probably are being loyal to their wives so then maybe not sharing it with other people i think they need support whether that's from good friend or therapeutic support or family support. I think get other people involved so it's not all falling on them. But I would say to them, she will, she'll be back. <laughs> you know, this isn't permanent, but you may find that you lose your wife for a good six months, maybe even a year. And, but everyone recovers, every woman recovers. She will be back. And I think I was so lucky with my husband. Um, I think initially he had a tendency to try and fix things, which is only natural mm -hmm. often with men. But I think what what he learned and what helped me was to just not try and fix it, not try and take it away, just to hear how I was feeling mm -hmm. and validate it. Because of course I was really anxious. He's like, well, you've got nothing to be anxious about. I mean, there's nothing worse you can tell someone, mm -hmm. you know, even with your kids now, I, I never do that. It's just hear how she's feeling and just it's, it's okay, give her a big hug and try and take a lot of the other load off her, whether it's the washing, whether it's feeding, um, you know, going to do a shop, mm. just just some of that practical stuff. And, and not, I think a lot of how, times- How much to push? How much would you say like to push to help you do social things or get out and about? I think what I really learned to do with my husband, particularly on a Friday, it was like what feels manageable this weekend. And that yeah. was so key, particularly when I was really unwell what's manageable so I can't I, I say I can't see those people I just can't I'm not up to it and it's yeah. like not pushing that because if you see those people let's say you go to some lunch or go to some occasion and and, and then it doesn't work out you'll feel there's a bit of a failure and it feels like a setback in your recovery mm -hmm. so what feels manageable is maybe going to the park with you and just you know and Harry and then coming back you know that's mm. an achievement or maybe we are up to seeing some friends mm. but they're friends that I feel safe with and that I could be vulnerable with if I needed to be mm. um so keeping sometimes keeping certain people at arm's arm's length so you um, were you were very proactive by the sounds of it in terms of seeking help um a lot of women aren't uh, and it is their partners who are noticing the symptoms and who are um, wondering what they can do. Uh, how should the part? How should? How would it have been useful for your partner to sort of encourage you to seek help or to, to well, see think, that there is something wrong? I think come I mean? to the doctor's appointment with you. Yeah. I think you need an advocate in that room yeah. um, to sit next to you in the doctor's room and really be an advocate and say what's going on and be really honest. I think the key thing for men and women to know is that your baby is not going to be taken away from you because I think that's a huge fear. Social services are going to be involved. They're going to take my baby. You know, I thought that mm. and, 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 and it's just not true. And it was pointed out to me that that just doesn't, you know, in the rarest, rarest of cases, if somebody mm. is psychotic or they're, they're mm. trying to harm their own baby. But mm. even in those situations, they will, they will, yeah, absolutely keep you together. And 
I think that's the key thing is, you know, what, what other people think. And I think through this whole illness, I just and let go of remembering how common it is, remembering that it is a lot of women who are suffering and, 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 if you get help, if you seek help as early as you can, you have a quick, you're much co- more likely quicker to get recovery. Quicker, yeah, exactly. absolutely. How, Selena, how honest were you? I mean, you're obviously incredibly honest now, and I know that's so helpful. I know this conversation is going to be so helpful. But um, how honest were you at the time with your friends? Did people know that you were experiencing this, or was it? Did you did you feel a bit? Yeah, no, I or? wasn't that honest with a lot of people because I and I think Dr. Hollins and Dr. Danny O'Shea helped me with that. It was like I really had a small nucleus, so I told maybe three or four or five close girlfriends what was going on Um, and my family my husband's family and my family were you know were amazing Um, they knew Um, but I didn't tell many people because everyone wants to offer their advice everyone wants to tell you what medication they've been on in their Mm -hmm. life what therapist they've seen and I think if you get too much advice and too many people's opinions it can really spin you out and you're really vulnerable as it is so I had my relationship with my psychotherapist, my husband, you know, my mother and father. I mean, I'd say, and even sometimes I'd say to my mum, look, you're, because my mum can sometimes get a bit anxious. I was like, look, no, let, you know, just you back off today. I'm just going to be with, with my husband. And um, I think it's keeping it really close near. And a lot of friends I didn't speak to for like six, seven months. But you know what? They're my friends. If, if, they, if they really love me, they're going to hang around. You know, I, I needed to everything I put everything into my recovery and I used to live near a swimming pool as well very I lived in London at the time I was lucky um I could just walk to the swimming pool and I would say to my mum or my husband on the weekend you know can you look after him for half an hour and I would literally just go and swim even if I hadn't slept I might have had two hours sleep I just used to swim and that would help my anxiety or Mm. go for a power walk I was just trying to throw everything into getting better because I suppose I realised that recovery lay on the other side. Mm. Uh, I had that hope of getting better. I think for a lot of women, they don't have that hope. And that's sometimes you need somebody else to hold the hope for you. Mm. And did you talk to someone who'd experienced postnatal depression or a mood disorder? I did, actually. I was put in touch with a woman who had suffered from it. And I spoke to her on the phone, but it was very boundary. I didn't know like who she was I was given her number by I think it, I can't remember if it was my therapist um but I spoke to her and and I, I don't know who she is or you know where she is now I just had a number of her and, and I called her and she told me that she felt exactly the same way and that she recovered and to keep going and she told me to you know a lot of the things I'm sharing today were things she shared with me and I found that so profound that someone could feel like me but they did recover that was huge mm. for me mm. um, and I'm very grateful to that woman I don't know where she is now but it just to have I had a half an hour phone conversation with her and when I got off the phone I wrote it down everything that she said to me and I tell you another useful thing I used to stick up post-it notes all over the bathroom on the mirror and on my on my bedside table like you will recover go for a power walk today you know um, you you know, remember what an amazing time you had with Harry yesterday when he was giggling in his bouncy chair. Even though you'll feel horrific when you wake up, remember that moment. Mm. And I had an iPhone, and this was back in 2010, but I had an iPhone. I used to record voice messages, all the positive things that I'd had in the day with Harry. Um, this was like three or four months in when I was starting to feel better. And so that in the morning I could listen to that because in the morning I felt like, I was back in the nameless dread and the, and the terror. But at least if I could listen to those messages, I remembered, oh, 
you know, because it's it's an illness that wipes out the positivity, depression mm. or anxiety. It, it wipes out all the good times. But if I, I'm a writer and so I would write it down, that was really powerful. And I say that to other women, just stick post-it notes up, mm. you know. And your your advice is sort of grading the days. I think that's a really visual way of, of monitoring your improvement, mm. which I think a lot of people find quite helpful. And I remember at three months, my mum said, oh, look, I will look after Harry tonight, you and your and James, you know, you go out to the cinema. I was like, I can't go to the cinema. I can't focus on a movie. I can't. And she said, just go, just go. If, you, if you're freaking out, just walk home. You know, we were living in London so we could walk to the cinema. And um, I went and saw The King's Speech. And I remember getting lost in this film for an hour and a half and I didn't feel anxious. I wasn't obsessing about anything. I just watched the movie. And we walked home, my husband and I afterwards. And it was... It was an hour and a half of respite where I felt like glimmers of my old self. And that was, things like that were a huge part of recovery to build on. You know, I was like, wow, I can feel like my old self. Mm. Um, and, and, and someone also said to me, other people will notice you're recovering before you are. Because then two days later, you could have a really bad day and think, oh, no, I'm not recovering. I'm not getting any better. But, you know, it's other people... Uh, will notice so sort of before you will. objective feedback from mm. the people close to you is quite helpful. It and, is. And if you've got a friend who's experiencing this, what, what can they do to help? Does it help if people check in with you and just go, just wanted to see how you're feeling today? Or does that get a bit annoying? Um, or is it more hard, practical it? that they dropped out around a pie so you don't need to or take you out for lunch or whatever it is? Yeah, I think dropping around food is always so helpful, isn't it? Food, more food and more food. And I think just sitting and, say, and saying it's, you know, it's really hard, isn't it? And, and being honest and saying it can be really boring, it can be really dull. Um, just letting the feelings be okay. Um, but if you really see that someone is genuinely, you think, suffering... Um, and you think they may have, they may be nosediving. I think, you know, you can try and, and mention to, you know, a family member that maybe it's a good idea to go and see your GP or your health visitor. I think that would be the first port of call. Mm. Um, and did everyone that you talked to get it? Or did you find that there were some people who just didn't get sort of anxiety and and that this was not you just not pulling yourself together? Um, did you feel that everyone you spoke to about this got it? Or did no, you feel I that think there, there, was were, there were people in my life that didn't get it? Absolutely. And I think I was, I think I was my biggest critic in a way, you know, pull myself together. I kept thinking of all those single mums out there that are like, I was thinking, I kept thinking of single mums that, no that, <laughs> that are on the poverty line, that have just got nothing. I was thinking they're coping, I'm not. But I, 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 and I would use that as a stick to beat myself up with, thinking, look at everything that I have, look at all the family support I have, what's wrong with me? I was like, I was my biggest critic. But, you know, a mental illness is a mental illness at the end of the day. Um, it doesn't respect, you know, creed, you know, race, money, whatever. It, 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 it can strike anyone. But I, I definitely use that as a stick to beat myself. Uh, but there were people that didn't get it. Yeah, absolutely. And I... I guess I had a sixth sense for those people and I tried to keep them maybe, you know... Well, quite commonly it's someone, an older generation, it can quite commonly be a parent or a grandparent who, or an in-law who's sort of implying or even saying, just put yourself together. Yeah, no, I was very lucky with my in-laws and, and my mm. parents. I mean, I think I was blessed with that. But sometimes, or you could go on... I mean, it was 2010, so there wasn't that much social media or I was just... 
you know, not looking at it. But I think there would be people that would, you know, say stuff. Or when I've spoken about this illness, you always get a few comments online from people who are like, oh, you know, pull yourself together. And mm. But, you know, there, but for the grace of God, maybe they're lucky that they haven't had something in their lives. But, you know, I, I believe that all people at some point in their lives are touched by by you know a real challenge or a struggle uh, but I, I tended to keep my circle close to people that understood and really listened to my to my psychotherapist and I think that's where the greatest healing lied was was with in that relationship and I would take all my fears and all my worries and you know we did a lot of work looking at my past looking trying to join the dots um, but it's not an exact science I think this illness for me was a real mystery. And I think that's something that was difficult for me. Um, well, I think it often is. I think often there's no relation necessarily to any trauma in the past or anything that's happened to you in your life. It's just one of those things that mm. happens and is triggered by the hormone change that happens when you have babies that gets better. And I think understanding that as a patient is the one of the biggest hurdles. Yeah, but I think I, I do speak to a lot of women who suffer and I think there have been some horrendous um, birth stories out there of real trauma and women just, you know, uh, and, and that can often be a trigger or there can be trauma in adolescence or, you know, unresolved griefs. There are a lot of triggers, but we don't know. It's not an exact science. And I think there was a real mystery to mine. I think in my before children, I was always, yeah, very sort of happy-go-lucky and hadn't had any anxiety um I mean just normal anxieties but nothing mm. like this so mm. it was I think I was just really shocked by it and I think that was a big part of just dealing with my shock around mm. feeling like this it just mm. yeah and you 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 mentioned that you had it with both both boys yeah and was it something that you're anticipating second no, time around? I really didn't think I was going to get it second time around I was lucky enough to be um, connected to Dr. O'Shea, Dr. Danny O'Shea for my pregnancy. So later on in my pregnancy, I saw him and he was really like, you know, we really don't think you're going to get it. You made a full recovery with Dr. Hollins, you know, after you had Harry. So, um, but we'll just put a plan in place. So, you know, after the birth, I'm around, I can do a home visit, we can chat. And for the first week or so, I was okay. And then I could just feel it coming back. And I was so devastated by that in a way. I was disappointed. It was almost worse second time around. I was so devastated and it felt like such an uphill struggle and the same physiological terror would come in. I mean, it almost felt a bit PTSD-like, just, um, yeah, how, uh, you know, how, you know, I was vomiting sometimes through feeling so anxious. It was, it was very scary time and just thinking, I don't know if I can do this again. Well, I, you, you look know. back at your, I think often when you have a second baby and you feel it coming, you look back at your treatment course or your recovery course with the first and although you recover, it's still hard work. It's still quite long mm. and to, to be at the beginning of it again can be uh, really scary. Yeah, it was really scary thinking I can't do this. I'm not sure... I, I just wanted a, just a way out. I was just, I can't, I can't. I just felt absolutely on the floor. Um, yeah, it was really, it was really terrifying. And I, 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 you know, I know I'm not, I can't have a third child. You know, I really, I, I know that now. I just feel like, just for me, something very strange happens to me when I have a baby. And I've, I've made my peace with that. Um, so, yeah. Was the recovery course, the time, roughly the same with, with your second? Yeah, before? it was. It's much harder having an older child. Mm. So he was two years, nine months. Luckily, he was doing a few mornings a week at nursery. Um, 
but of course you have all the guilt that I'm not mothering my eldest in the way I should, you know, all those voices that, and I would just say to any mother, you know what, just put a bit of CBBS on, <laughs> just don't worry about it. You know, your older child will be fine. Just, um, Focus just on do the best you can. Yeah. Mm. I, and I think it's that thing that Winnicott, you know, is it Donald Winnicott, mm. the great child psychoanalyst, you know, the concept of the good enough mother, yeah. you know, I'm meeting my child's needs as much as I can, you know, and, I think uh, it was much harder because I had a two two year old running around needing needing me. So that was that was difficult. But then I also knew, you know, go on the meds, have my weekly psychotherapy sessions, and and you had evidence that you would you would get better because you yeah, had got better. Exactly. Um, but I think things like the chaos of the house. I think one cannot underestimate the maternal load um, on on a mother. Just. You know, I, I think sometimes just the chaos of the house and of a two-year-old and of the laundry and just the complete... It's like a bomb going off, isn't it? You know, young children. And I think I found that really difficult. It almost mirrored the internal chaos of my mind. And everywhere I'd look around the house, it was just an absolute mess. And, and I just... I felt like I was just drowning in it all. Um mm. I think that can be really difficult for for mothers just juggling it all. I think everyone feels that at some point, but it's it's that diff- it's like the volume's been turned up. Mm. You know, everyone feels like it's too chaotic, that it's too hard, that it's too boring. Yeah. But when it becomes a problem, it's just it's ten times more than yeah people who don't have a problem or experience. Yeah, exactly. Everything's sort of amplified or kind of mute to the max. Um, well, and it's not being able to cope with it. It yeah. is. It's having those feelings, but rather than be able to say, ah, you know, it's new baby, toddler, it'll be, you know, it's fine. Mm. I don't really mind a messy house or whatever it is. It's, or having it's, a bit yeah. of a cry and then getting on with it. Yeah. No, it's, I've spoken to women that just like, you know what, I want out of this. I just, I don't want to do this. I'm going to, you know, jump in front of a train or get on a plane and not come back, mm. you know, just, just mm. serious. And, you know, women do, you know, women do commit suicide you know this is a serious illness it's not just oh you know i'm a bit overwhelmed by the laundry and my baby's not sleeping you know this is a serious illness and um you know it's 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 a big killer of women in the first year of of motherhood so i think these feelings have to be taken very seriously it's not just a bit of baby blues you know it's like yeah, it's it's really extreme. Selena, yeah. mm. your children are now six and nine, yes. your boys. Um, how do you think the experience of, of postnatal anxiety and postnatal hormone disorder has impacted? And I think, you know, in a positive as well as a negative way, mm. your, your um, experience of being a parent and your ability to be a parent. If it's if it's not too weird, I would say I, I'm not I'm not grateful I went through that, but I am grateful that, that the benefits of of having that that time and what I learned um, about myself is that I'm a real survivor that I can come through very tough times and it absolutely just connected me and bonded me with my boys. Um, I feel such a rock solid connection with them. Um, I, I really hear their feelings and however they're feeling, I don't minimize it. Um, I'm, I'm a present mother. Um, I'm, I'm don't try to be a perfect mother. Um, I'm the good enough mother. I know what's important and externals are not important. Um, I don't care what other people think about me as a mother um, I care about my connection with my boys and what's best for them and what's best for me. 
self-care is really important um and do you and think all those things are a direct result of at, having they're a through? direct response to the work i did in with my psychotherapy yeah. yeah and and i really feel that i i am there for them with whatever they're going through and um so there are some positives and i've really listened to listen to the signs i think i think you know, with with children, you know, sometimes we think, oh, they've got so many wants. No, they're not wants, they're needs and looking at what's underpinning their behavior. You know, so many people say, oh, my child's being difficult. You know, there's no such thing as a difficult child, as a child in difficulty and working out what's going on for Harry and Rory and what their needs are. Um, I think I've become a lot more of a of a you know, and a bit of a, a, not a mind reader, but trying to work out what's going on in Harry and Rory. Um, not just looking at the surface, but looking what's underneath and what their behavior is telling me. And I think that's, that is a real gift of those connections that I made um, with the psychotherapy. I'm really grateful. Do you and still continue with any psychotherapy now that you're Not better? at the moment, but I would do in a heartbeat. Yeah, mm. if, I, if I needed to, or I felt like it was going to help. Um, mm. But I think definitely in this age we're looking at of social media, just... Don't give two hoots about what other people think. What does it matter? What matters is what I feel, what my, my husband feels and what my children feel. You know, it's all white noise, all that stuff. Mm. And not to compare my insides with other people's outsides. You know, a lot of the days I'm, I have a really, you know, I'm not, I'm not coping particularly well or everything goes to pot at home or, you know, my kids having a tough time. Like, that's okay. You know, we'll get through it or... Um, and and not not taking my worries to somebody who I don't trust. Not discussing things with people um, who aren't going to help. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. People talking, sharing quite personal stuff with people that really, you know, maybe that's just not a help. You know, going to where going to where the well is full, not where the well's empty. Mm. Yeah. And in terms of your relationship with your husband, I know that when people experience these mood disorders, it can often really impact a relationship. You know, if you've if it's been a year married to the person that you didn't marry, does do you feel that, you know, 10, nearly 10 years on that um, that has, has become stronger as it well? Definitely. I think it was really difficult for James when I was ill. I shouldn't underestimate that it was really half of it just I think just mind-numbingly boring as to how repetitive I was and how I just said the same thing over and over again and exasperating for him um, but he's a man of many resources um, and he somehow found a way to to stay positive for me and be rock solid and I'm very lucky um, but you know of course we have moments where he was like oh my goodness mm. um, but it has really brought us together. Yeah, I think I think it brought us tighter as a, as a three initially with Harry and now as a four and to to really focus on what our family's needs are, you know, what's best for us as a couple. We even did it last weekend, you know, on Friday we said, oh, what's, how should we structure this weekend? You know, what's best for us and best for the children rather than always pleasing other people or being over ambitious or trying to achieve too much, you know, life's full of that. Go here, do this, run here, run there. Mm -hmm. Actually, what we need is a really quiet weekend. So let's go to take kids to the football and then come back and just spend the afternoon doing Lego. You know, that's mm. what we need. And I think it's helped us work out what's best for, for us and for our children rather than 
running around and doing all this stuff to, to look good and for other people to think you're great. You know, it doesn't matter. Mm. Um, and I think James has seen me at my worst. Um, he's seen me no warts and all. And, uh, and I think before that, you know, he'd, only, he, he'd seen, you know, he'd seen the kind of fun-loving, gregarious, um, joyful person. And now he's seen a dark place that I can go to. And I think that, that of course, that strengthens a relationship. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for being so honest. I know that it will be massively helpful for people who are either experiencing these uh, emotions or supporting someone who is. And I think, you know, that support network is so important. It's really crucial as a society that we get a bit better at being able to sort of support and understand people when they're going through these things, but also expect them in a way. If, you know, if you said, Kiara, 15% of people experience some kind of postnatal hormonal disorder. Yeah, mood disorder, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's more than you think. And there's lots of people out there who need a bit of support. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Selena. Thank you, Kiara. Thank you all for downloading another episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review us wherever you've downloaded this podcast from. It really helps new listeners find us um, and get the important messages out to parents who might be struggling or just want a bit more of an informed view of the challenges they might be experiencing in parenthood. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Selena, Chiara and me, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.